This morning, uh, we're, we're continuing in a series, a journey through the book of Mark. Um, we're on chapter two, and this is, I, I'm, I, I love the book of Mark, because he's like, he's all about just, just telling the facts, and um, today, the message is called Faith Through the Roof. Um, this is a story about a guy who, who was essentially a quadriplegic, and he had these four friends. The, Jesus came back to Capernaum and, and he was preaching the word of God and these four guys tried to take this, this paralyzed man and tried to move him into the house, but it was too crowded. So he, they lowered him, they dug out the roof, they cut this big hole in the roof, big enough to put a, a grown man and they lowered him through the roof. Now these were some these were some good friends, don't you think? Well, in the meantime, so of course the religious leaders were there, being all skeptical and um, judging Jesus, because Jesus said to this man who's paral- clearly paralyzed, he, he said, "Your sins are forgiven." And so the religious leaders are like, "Wait a minute! Only God can forgive sins." And so then Jesus says to them, "I'm going to prove to you." That because I can forgive sins, I can also heal him. So he heals this guy. The guy gets up, picks up his mat, and leaves. And it says everybody in the town was totally amazed. So we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about um, areas where we are paralyzed. Areas where we, we have kind of hit that wall. We just can't seem to move forward. And some of the reasons that that happens. Some of the obstacles that we encounter just in our daily lives with the Lord. Um, we're going to talk about some of that, those things. We're also going to talk about who were these four amazing people and, and how that relates to who God has created each and every one of us to be. And then we're also going to talk about the skeptics and um, the role that they played in this whole story. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, how many of you have heard Jesus referred to as Jesus of Nazareth? So here it's saying Jesus is coming home to Capernaum. Well, I, I looked into this, and in Matthew 4, it says Jesus first went to Nazareth, because remember, he was born in Bethlehem, but his family lived in Nazareth, and it says, then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali beside the sea, Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee where so many Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast a shadow, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach. And this was his message right here. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, he he sees this man who's, who's paralyzed. And so this paralyzed man, who knows why? Who knows what the reasoning was? But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I can relate to that feeling at times. Anybody else, at times you just feel like 
you're, you're either in the spiritual desert or you just can't seem to, to move into that next season or you have certain areas in your life where you just are stagnated or you're just stuck. You're paralyzed. And um, I just want to ask you, what is it that paralyzes you? What in your life paralyzes you? What are some of the reasons that we're paralyzed? Anybody throw something out there? I'm sorry? Doubt. Doubt, for sure. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt God is who he tells us he is in the Bible. What's, what's the other one? Fear. Absolutely. How many people do you know, they, they can't move into that next thing because they have so much fear? We have fear when we think about, well, if I say yes to God, then what's he going to make me do, right? Is he going to make me go to Indonesia or is he going to make me, you know, go do some kind of a horrible mission or, you know, or we wonder, you know, what is God going to take away from me? We have fear. Instead of trust, instead of faith, we fear. What are some other things? Anger. Anger, Yes. Overthinking. Overthinking, Anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, worry, depression. How about just weariness? Just we're just weary. You know, I love Robbie Ravi Zacharias. I'm gonna actually quote him a few times today because I've been really kind of binge watching him. Um, but one of the things he says is he said, I don't think weariness comes from not having enough. He said, I think weariness comes from too much pleasure. That we just, you know, you think, oh, well, if I, if I um, go on this vacation, then I'm going to be fulfilled. And then you think, oh, if I go eat at this restaurant, that'll be, that'll be really fulfilling. And everything just is a dead end. It's just we're, we come to the end of ourselves. What are some other things that would keep us from moving forward with the Lord? Shame. Shame. That's a huge thing. That is a huge thing. And, and I know that that is something that, that can be really debilitating. We feel so unworthy. We feel like what we've done is so bad that God could never forgive that. And that is simply not the case. What else? Anything else? Yeah, past wounds, past wounding or past hurts. Maybe you were hurt by church. Maybe you were hurt by family or, or friends or you were betrayed and you just can't seem to get over it. You just can't, you're just stuck. What else? Pride. Pride. That's a huge one. Pride. We're just like, I'm not doing that. Entitlement. Entitlement. Definitely. How about worldly passions? You just crave the things of this world. You want everything this world has to offer. Greed, materialism, power, lust. All of those things that just leave us empty. You know? Jesus said, you know, what good would it do if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You know? Well, today, really, the message really is a message of hope. That Jesus has come to heal you from your paralysis. Jesus came to set the captives free. And whatever area of your life you are feeling completely stuck and paralyzed, Jesus has the promise of hope for you. That he has come to set you free and he's come to deliver you. And I really believe today... um, the Lord really was really showing me that he has that healing in his hand and he wants, he loves you so much 
that he wants to set you free, that he wants to deliver you. He wants to bring you into a new season of your life, a season of, of joy, a season of peace, a season of, of um, purpose. I just believe that that's, that's what he is calling us to. And I think one of the best ways for us to advance in our spiritual life is to have people around us that are committed to us. Like this paralytic. He had, I call him the, the fantastic four. You know, these four guys, think about what they did for this man. I mean, they, they cared so much about him. First of all, the four of them picked him up on his mat. And the mat was, was kind of like what a homeless person would sleep on, a beggar would sleep on. And these guys picked him up and they carried him to this house where there was this huge crowd. And then they went up on top of the roof and they started like doing demolition on this guy's house. Can you imagine if you were the guest of that house? You'd be like, oh, great. So I have the party here and then they start literally taking my house apart. I mean, it doesn't say anything about that, but I mean, I'm just wondering, what is the owner of that house thinking? It's like, wow, this, this is a mess. But it had to be a hole big enough to fit a, a, a paralyzed person. And they lowered this guy. Think about the determination and the, and the dedication that these guys had to their friend. In Mark 2, uh, verse 4, it says, They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right in front of Jesus. And instead of rebuking them, instead of getting down on these guys for ruining this guy's roof, it says Jesus said, seeing their faith. Now get this, seeing the faith of the four he turns to the paralyzed man and says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's so many questions in here, right? Like, wait a minute. So first of all, Jesus should have rebuked them because they just ruined this guy's house. But secondly, he, he just saw their faith, not the paralyzed guy. I want you to get this because a lot of people will blame the victim. Say, for example, you've been sick for years or someone is sick. And then, and then people will say, oh, well, the reason you're not healed is obviously because you don't have enough faith. Or, um, you know, the reason that, that you're not being blessed is because you don't have enough faith. And, and Jesus is saying he sees the faith of this guy's friends and because of their faith, he turns to him, and instead of saying, you're healed, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. What? Why? I mean, clearly the guy's first priority is going to be to be able to move. Wouldn't you think? Doesn't that stand to reason? Because, I mean, nobody said anything about the guy's sin. Nobody was talking to Jesus about the guy's sin. They lower the guy, and then Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't this seem a little random to you? Doesn't it? I mean, imagine you've never read the story before. You never heard it before. You'd be like, wait, why? Why didn't Jesus heal him first? We'll get to that in a bit. We'll, um, we'll talk about that a little later. But this is the point here. Jesus came to forgive. And what that word means is Jesus came to, to separate your sins from you so that your sins... Uh, okay, and if, I, if you need a definition, sin, 
just means not being as perfect as God. It means falling short of God's glory. We have all sinned, every single human being. Anybody in here never sinned so far? Oh, she just did. She just lied. (laughs) Just kidding. Every single human being has a need to be forgiven. Whether we recognize it or not, we need to be forgiven. We are walking around before the cross, before we receive what Jesus did on the cross, we are walking around with a burden of sin. There is an innate sense that we have that we are not perfect. Everybody knows that. And, and, and if we don't receive what Jesus did on the cross, what we end up doing is just trying to cover it up, cover up how, you know, how we're not perfect, try to hide it from people. But every single one of us has a need to be forgiven. Um, My district supervisor was here yesterday and he said, forgiveness comes from the Lord, but healing comes from face-to-face encounters. And I just thought, that is what this paralyzed man clearly had with these four friends of his. I mean, how committed were they to him? And how loving and determined and kind that they would care so much for this guy that they would want to bring him to Jesus. And, And I wondered... Why was it four? Like, because, you know, early on, Jesus went through Capernaum and he chose four disciples from Capernaum. And here he's got the four people. And I really, I mean, I heard some different analogies about how, you know, they they represent all these four different character traits of God. But I think really what it represents is like, is like having friends who can kind of balance you. You know, having somebody who can speak into your life. My question is always, do you have someone in your life who can say no to you? Do you have someone in your life that that if your flies open, they will tell you? Or if you have a bat in the cave, do you have somebody that loves you enough and cares enough about you that they, they will come to you and tell you something that they may be risking actually hurting your feelings because it might be kind of hard to hear? Do you have someone in your life like that? And if you don't, I just strongly urge you, find somebody who will tell you the truth in love. Make sure they're for you. Make sure it's, you know, somebody that is genuinely committed to you as a person. And that's one reason why we do the community groups. We do life groups here. Because really, I mean, you can come in on a Sunday morning and kind of say hi to people. And and there's something really important and dynamic about worshiping together. But there is something very life-giving about groups that meet in people's homes. That's really where the church really takes place. That's really where life really happens, where you can establish those relationships and really grow in that. Um, (laughs) Who can speak into your life? Who can tell you the truth? Do you have somebody? If not, I just, I strongly recommend that you do. Everybody needs somebody. Bill Cheney said yesterday, now this is him again, don't judge me. He said, um, you need to tell somebody if your zipper's down, and for some of you, he, you need somebody in your life who will tell you to keep yours up. <laughs> you can explain that to the person you came with later. Some of you missed that. <clears throat> but some of you right now are being used as like, of the fabulous four, or the fantastic four. You're, you're being used by the Lord in that. And that is what God has called every single one of us to do. You know, 
this is the adventure. And this is a, a family and a church body. And really one of the main things that motivates us is first and foremost to love God and to honor God in whatever we think, say, and do. But secondarily, like Jesus says, to love others as we love ourselves. And one of our main goals is to help you discover not only who the creator is, but also who he created you to be because each and every person was created for purpose. Everybody was. And you know, going back to the things about the things that paralyze you, you know, there are certain things in your life that, that cause you to feel like God could never use me. I'm just, I'm not good enough or I've sinned too much or I'm just hopeless or God didn't give me any gifts. These are all lies from the enemy. These are not true. There is nothing that you have done that can keep you from the grace of God. God's grace can permeate all our sin. It's just a matter of just admitting it, confessing it. That's what confession is. Just agreeing with what God already knows to be true of you. And God is ready to forgive no matter how many steps you have taken off the road. It's one step back to being in a right relationship with him. That is how loving our God is. That's how much he wants to be with us and he wants to forgive. Do you realize that? Did you ever think about that? He actually wants to forgive. Do you ever wonder about that? Like what would motivate him? Anybody have any ideas? What would motivate God to forgive us? It's because he wants fellowship with us. He wants to hang out with us. And sin separates us from God, not because he's going, get it together, you loser. It's because he's like, confess it so we can be on the same page, so we can be dealing with truth. Because I want to forgive you. I long to forgive. He longs to forgive us. But there are times where we, we hold him at arm's length because we have certain things that we just aren't willing to admit, you know, and, and he's all about truth. Jesus is the truth. Um, some of you right now, it says, um, it says in second Corinthians five fifteen, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for whom for themselves Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So this is saying that once you receive the new life that Jesus gives you, he puts you on a completely different trajectory. He puts you on a completely different path. You're no longer living to fulfill yourself and meet your own needs. You are living to be used in his hand to see his kingdom expanded. And... um some of you right now, I know you are carrying other people. You have backslidden children, children who have walked away from the Lord. Or you have a spouse who doesn't believe. Or you, you're burdened for the lost. Or you're burdened for people at work. Or in your neighborhood. Or maybe in your family. And I just want to say, don't give up. Don't give up. I hear so many stories about people who prayed for years and years and years. Finally to see their child come to Christ or to see their spouse one for the Lord. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Remember, 
the Lord says that our life is a vapor. It's just, I mean, it's nothing. It's just gone. It's that short. But when we're going through things, it seems like it takes forever. But keep putting your trust in God. It says in um, Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? To love one another. That's the law of Christ. So that means that if you see someone is struggling or someone is hurting or someone is in need, it says, carry each other's burdens. You know, sometimes that's in prayer. Sometimes you know someone is really broken and really hurting. And and when you get that little prompting in your heart, just obey that. You know, you don't have to be all formal about talking to Jesus. You know, you can be driving down the road or, you know, just walking or doing, you know, going about your day. But when the Lord brings someone to your mind, pray for them. Do that because that's the Holy Spirit trying to prompt you to pray for someone. The, the prayer that I've been praying lately is a prayer in number six. It's called a special blessing in it. I've been praying this for, for, for you as a church family and for my kids and for just people. And it's the Lord bless you. The Lord protect you. The Lord smile on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord protect you and the Lord, or the Lord um, look upon you with favor and the Lord bless you with peace. I've been praying that over this family right here, over the Adventure Church. And one of the ways that we can be most blessed and most fulfilled is by losing our lives. See, it's totally backwards. It's just the opposite of what the world says. The world says, grab for whatever you can get. Jesus is saying, I heard this prayer. It was so beautiful. It's like, Lord, I'm willing to be used for your sake, even at my own expense. Are you at that place? Are you still trying to have your needs met? Still trying to get, find your comfort? You know, Helping people discover what their purpose is means that every single person who calls this place their home and names the name of Jesus is a minister. Every single one. There's no, I, I, don't, I don't like the term volunteers. I don't want to use the term volunteers because we are all called to serve one another using the specific gifts and the mix of gifts that the Lord has given to each one of us. You know, and I, 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 I get the analogy of a potluck you know, you don't want to be the person that shows up at the potluck with, with you know, you're empty-handed. Or the person who just leaves a big mess and, and doesn't clean up. Do you understand what my analogy is here? I'm not talking literally, but I'm saying, if this is your home and if this family is, is your family, and I feel like, you know, we've, we've been through a really rough few years um, for those of you who have been around for a while, thank you for staying. <laughs> I love you. Um, but, you know, we, we, lost, we lost our leader, we lost our pastor, and we went through some really hard times. But I, I believe the Lord's bringing us into a new season of really discovering who we are as a church as we move forward because it, obviously it's going to be different, right? But part of that is what drives me and what 
what is one of my biggest passions is to help people discover who God created them to be. That is one of the most important things. And so if, if you come here and this is your home, then God is calling you to serve other people somehow using your gifts. And, and that's one of our missions is to help you discover what those gifts are, to help you kind of unwrap who you were created to be. I, I realized yesterday I was at the dog park. I love the dog park. Anybody else go to the dog park? Yes, I love the dog park. But I realized yesterday, you know, sometimes you're the dog and sometimes you're the one who has to clean up after the dog. You understand what I'm saying? You go grab that little miniature trash bag, stick your hand in it, and you follow your dog around and wait until they eliminate their lunch. And then you reach down and you pick it up and you pull the bag over it and then you throw it away in the most disgusting trash can you've ever smelt in your life. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you're called, sometimes you're, you're in a season and you're so paralyzed and you're so hurt and you're so broken that you just need someone to pick up after you, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? But other times, you're called to be the one who loses your life for the sake of your family. I mean, your your family of, of the body of Christ. And I know I've said this before, but you know the saying, blood is thicker than water? That isn't talking about familial blood. It's not talking about your family. It's saying the blood of Christ is thicker than the waters of birth. So you're... If you're, if you're a Christian, if you, if you have received Christ, if you are born again, then you are called to serve someone else's sheep. You're, so, you're called to serve the sheep that belong to Jesus. And what does Jesus care about? What is the main thing Jesus cares about? His kids. He cares about you and me. He cares about his kids. And, and you know what? To go even beyond that, we're also called to serve someone else's bride. And that is the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ is called the bride of Christ. And I hate to break this to you guys, but gentlemen, the wedding is never really about you. All right? I mean, how many weddings have you been to where the man was like the star of the show? I don't think I've ever been to one like that. It's always about the bride, isn't it? I mean, is this, am I being sexist by saying this? You guys hear me? You guys, like everybody's offended now. Well, it was nice having you today, but, uh, <laughs> but really it's about the bride, right? I mean, I have stood up here so many times and watched as the groom stood here and everyone stands up and turns and faces the beautiful, glowing bride. Right? And that is what the body of Christ is compared to. That is what the Lord calls us. We are his bride. And you know, the thing is, you can mess with someone's sheep and like kind of who cares, but you mess with a guy's bride, that is a big no-no. Kelly from um, the American Fort Campus sent me this 
picture. It was a meme of, um, it was this big burly guy, kind of hairy, and, and he's standing there with a scowl, and he's got on a, a wedding gown. And it says, this is me every time they refer to, to the church as the body of, or as the bride of Christ. <laughs> it's pretty funny. He's just standing there like, I don't get it. And I know that is kind of a weird analogy for guys, unless you think about your bride or you think about, you know, what, how precious the bride is. And Jesus is the bridegroom and he is coming back for his bride. He is coming back soon. Do you notice that there's the increase of wickedness? You notice that? We're going to talk about that in a little, in a little bit. But there's wickedness on two sides. There are, there's wickedness, there's religious wickedness, which religion just means somebody else telling you what to do rather than you having a relationship with your creator. Religion means, you know, it's external. Religion means us trying to earn something from God rather than, than receiving. Um, but the skeptics in this story, the religious leaders, the, um, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, in Mark 6, uh, or 2, verse 6, it says, some of the teachers of the re- religious law were sitting there and they thought to themselves, what is he saying? Now remember, the paralytic is lowered into the house and Jesus says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders blew a gasket. They were so upset by this. They were like, what is he saying? But check this out. It says they were sitting there and they thought to themselves. They weren't talking about it. They were thinking it in their hearts. They were thinking, how dare he? What is he saying? That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. What blasphemy means is to say something that is um, against God or contrary to who God is or uh, something abhorrent. They're saying only God can forgive sins. And that is true. That really is true. So they weren't wrong by saying only God forgives sins. And the thing is they studied, Jesus even said to them, he goes, you know, you study the scriptures all the time. You, You know everything in it, but you miss the whole point. And that's what religion does. It misses the whole point. And that's what these religious leaders, here they knew the word of God more than anyone else and yet they missed the whole point. The Messiah was standing right in front of them. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the savior of the world. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was standing right in front of them. They totally missed it. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. After all, he was God. But he said, why do you question this in your hearts? I mean, he just called it like it was. Why do you question this? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up, take up your mat and walk? Which do you think is easier? Anybody ever wondered about this? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven which doesn't mean just saying it. It means actually forgiving their sins. It would be like, uh, let's say, for example, Ka'ule sinned against me, which would never happen. But let's just say, for example, that she sins against me. I mean, Ruby couldn't come up to me and say, uh, well, I forgive Ka'ule. I mean, it wouldn't mean anything. No offense. You know, you know what I'm saying? It, wouldn't, it, it has to be me saying, 
Ka'ule, I forgive you. And in the same way, we don't have the power to forgive everybody's sins. The religious leaders didn't have the power to do that. But God himself forgives sins. He's the only one that can forgive sins. And the thing is, this is, this is probably the most significant human need, which is why Jesus started with that, which is why Jesus started with your sins are forgiven because when sin entered the world, that was when sickness and disease and depravity began. And so, so the number one need that human beings universally have is to be forgiven, to be forgiven of their sins, to have the burden, the weight of their sin lifted off their shoulders. And only God can do that. This is kind of a heavy quote by Malcolm Muggridge. He's a theologian. He says, The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. In other words, what this means is that it's evident that people have wickedness. It's evident that people sin, but it's so hard for them to admit it, right? It's so hard for people to be able to, to admit their need to be forgiven, their need for a savior, or, their, or to even admit their wickedness. I mean, and every one of us, if left to ourselves, I mean, here's the thing. We don't sin, or we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It is in our nature. The Bible even says we were by nature objects of wrath. And that's why we need forgiveness. Is because sin separates us from him. That keeps us from his presence. And that's what Malcolm Muggridge is talking about. Forgiveness always comes before healing. Jesus wanted to offer him his most significant need. Even though it looked like the guy needed physical healing, Jesus is saying, no, even more importantly, you need to be forgiven. You need to be reconciled to your creator. And it says in Revelation 2.23, I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus knew what was going on. There's actually a spiritual gift called word of knowledge. And this is where someone will know something without anyone ever telling them. It's just, it's a spiritual thing that the Holy Spirit will put something in your heart and your mind. And he'll tell you something. And sometimes we kind of write it off. We're like, oh, I, I was just guessing or I just psychoanalyzed or I, you know, I just analyzed my way to that. But I have seen it in my own life where, where God will give someone great insight um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It happened the very first time that I ever saw this in action was when we went on a short-term mission to Holland and Eric and I, we stayed back. Everyone else went to town, but we were really exhausted from traveling. And so we stayed back and we were staying in these tents. And this man, who we, oops, we later learned was the, the leader, one of the leaders, he came into our tent. And this is when we had just gotten to Holland. And he started, like, it was like he had read our mail. It was like he had gone into our journals and read everything. He called every single situation we were dealing with. And it was like, Eric and I just looked at each other like, 
there's no way we had time to tell this guy to fill him in on everything we were going through. But it was like, when he spoke that, he just, it was like the Holy Spirit just brought us this hope and like this renewed sense that the situation wasn't hopeless. It was just amazing. That was the first time I ever saw it happen. And also my pastor's wife in California, she used to get word of knowledge in dreams. Like the Lord would show her people's sin. It was kind of scary, you know, but she would like, suddenly she would have a dream and she would, she would be able to see like spiritually what was going on without having any evidence. It was, it was, it's a pretty amazing gift, but you know, the Bible does say to earnestly desire all of the spiritual gifts. And that's, that is one of the spiritual gifts. It's a word of knowledge. But as I was mentioning earlier, you know, there are, there are evil things that, that happen in religion Anybody concur with me? The abuse of power. You know, people setting themselves up as though they are better than, you know. I remember one pastor, you know, in the olden days, um, in churches, they used to have like these long wooden, um, they called them pews. Anybody heard of pews? I heard this one pastor talking about the difference between the pulpit and the pew. I was like, wow, that's so offensive. (laughs) But there is no difference. Do you know what I'm saying? The the people who set themselves up as though they are somehow better than are, again, missing the whole point. Because the greatest among you is the servant of all. People just have different callings, different purposes. Some of you are called to be behind-the-scenes people. You know, you're called to... Some of you are called to be teachers, maybe teaching in the kids' ministry. You know, some of you are called to be upfront. Some of you are called to be leaders and influencers. Some of you are called to be intercessors and to just pray. Not just as in, that's not like a really significant thing. But every one of you, every one of us, we each are called. We have a purpose. And, and God wants to bring you life and fulfillment through discovering that purpose. And sometimes it's a series of maybe going down some dead end roads and going, okay, well, I'm not called for that. I'm, you know, and that's okay. But he has called each and every one of us to purpose and to serve. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about when Jesus says, broad is the road and wide the gate that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to say that again. Broad is the road and wide the gate that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. But small is the road and narrow the gate that leads to life and few will find it. Few will find it. Where are you today with Jesus? Where are you with your relationship with the Lord? Because I'm telling you, I want to be all in. I want to be 100%. And Jesus is coming back for his bride and he is coming back soon. And he is calling us to raise up an army, to be, you know, to be the people who care about other people, be people who have a burden for the lost, be people who are not just seeking to have our comfort, but seeking to lose our lives even at our own expense, to give it all up for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else. 
Did you know 23% of all Americans are atheists? They claim to be atheists. 23%. One out of four. And if you ever drive on the freeway, you know that to be true. (laughs) Just kidding. That wasn't an insult to the atheists. There is, um, there's a huge need. There are people who have been hurt by religion and they've rejected God. Those people need rescuing. They need to be introduced to a savior who is willing to forgive and willing to heal them and willing to save their souls. And then there are people who are just atheists. And a lot of people, when they try religion and end up broken by it, they end up just rejecting everything that that has anything to do with God. And that is so demonic. You know, there there is a God. He did create the universe. And he sent his only son to come and to walk among us and to deal with everything we dealt with and then to suffer and die for our sins, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. There's a, an atheist, a really belligerent atheist named Richard Dawkins, and I mistakenly said first service that he was dead, but apparently he's not. But um, he was on a radio show, and he was um, being very condescending about people who are spiritual, and he was saying, oh, all Christians are, they're just so unintellectual. They're so stupid. They are just so uneducated. And so this, this man that he was talking to was like, he was like, well, yeah, I understand what, where you would think that. And Dawkins went on and he said, I bet that the majority of Christians couldn't even name the four gospels. Now, before you stress out Matthew, Mark, <laughs> Luke, and John, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But he was saying, I bet most Christians couldn't even name the four gospels. And this this guy that he was talking to said, you know what, unfortunately, that, that's probably true. You're probably right about that. He said, but on the other hand, could you, could you tell me the name, the original name of the origin of the species, which was written to disprove the existence of God? Could you tell me the whole title of that? And Dawkins paused and he goes, oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, origin of the species. Uh, uh, oh my God. So even an atheist, when he can't remember the title of the book that was written to disprove God, calls on the name of God. Not really, he wasn't calling on God. In California, one week, they had legislature to illegalize, uh, or to to outlaw Happy Meals, because those are bad, and to legalize pot. Same week. Can you see how, like it says in Isaiah, and they will call what is good evil and what is evil good. I'm not saying happy meals are good, but somebody said they should combine the two and make it a very happy meal. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus is come, he has come to heal us. He's come to set us free and to make us whole. The healing that Jesus brings, Mark 2 Verse 10, I will prove to you, now he's talking to the religious leaders, I will now prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, 
pick up your mat and go home. Okay, so first of all, he said, your sins are forgiven. Next, he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The mat was a thing that he had been lying on for all this time, but it was now in the way. And in the same way, we have things, we have ways of thinking and habits and just certain lifestyle patterns and all of these things. And Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. Now pick up your mat and walk. Move that thing out of the way. Don't rely on that anymore, but rely on me. And he is calling you to walk on that narrow road that leads to life that few people can find. He is trying to draw people to himself, people that love him with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all of their strength. Not just kind of like, oh yeah, I go to church. You know the old saying, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Have you heard that one? It's like, just because you're here at church doesn't mean you're on the narrow road. And I'm not trying to be like a, you know hellfire and brimstone, pastor, preacher, whatever. I'm trying to say Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Lose your life for the sake of the kingdom of God and receive that healing. Receive the forgiveness and then pick up your mat and walk. And it says here, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and they praised God exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. And that is what Jesus is calling you to do. He's calling you to to stand up and to walk in what he's called you to. Or, and then to become part of that fabulous four, the fantastic four. He's calling you to serve others and to lose your life for his bride. Zacharias says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So who are you? Where do you fall in this spectrum? Are you paralyzed? Are you stuck? Is there something that's just keeping you? Whether it's unconfessed sin or anxiety or shame or pride or apathy or all the things we talked about, worldly pleasures. Jesus is saying, be healed. Your sins are forgiven. Be healed. Walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. He's created you for a purpose. Or are you one of the fantastic four? Are you somebody that is helping bring other people to Jesus no matter what it takes? Because that's what we're all called to. Every single one of us is called to that. Using whatever gifts we have. And I just want to say, if that's you, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap if you do not lose heart. Don't, Don't become exhausted. Keep trusting, keep hoping, keep believing, and keep praying. Or are you one of the skeptics? Are you somebody, you don't, you don't really think Jesus can heal. You don't really know that he could forgive your sins because your sins are so bad. Is, are you a doubter or are you religious? You're something different on the outside than what's going on inside. Jesus is saying, I've come to set you free. I've come to forgive your sins. I've come to make you walk. I just want to take a time, if you wouldn't mind standing now. 
You know, Jesus loves you so much. God loves you. And that's the point. But he also, he wants to fulfill you by you losing your life and him showing you what you're created for. Are you willing to lose your life and to serve him and to see his kingdom expanded no matter what the expense? Are you there? Is that you? If so, raise your hand. Anybody? Broad is the road and wide is the gate, but narrow is the road that leads to life. I want to be on that road. And I want you guys to be on that road too. That's why I do this. Well, because God told me to do it, but also because I want to see you guys on that road too. So can we just pray and just invite the presence of the Lord? Father, we are so, so amazed at your goodness, Lord. We are so grateful for your mercy, your goodness that will follow us all the days of our lives. Lord, we thank you that our first, first and primary need is to be forgiven. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross so that we can be forgiven. Thank you that you died for us, Lord, so that we can live. Thank you that you were resurrected from the dead, Lord, and you are the resurrection. You are the one who can bring life to areas that have been dead. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, we just give ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, and we want to be used for the sake of your great name. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to dwell in your presence, God. There is nothing like your presence. That is where we experience the fullness of joy. And so, Lord, we just come before you and we ask, Lord, that if we're paralyzed, Lord, that you would forgive us and and you would heal us and help us to begin to walk a new path. Lord, and that for those, those who are carrying others' burdens, Lord, we ask for renewed strength as they wait on you, Lord. And for the skeptics, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would remove the scales from their eyes, that they would see the truth of your good news, that you died on the cross and you were raised again after three days so that they can be reconciled to to you. And we love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.